0: Good morning, my name is Audrey, this is Marin back here. Um, today we're going to continue reading through the book of Galatians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we may have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for those who seemed to be influential what they were makes no difference to me god shows no partiality those who say who seemed influential added nothing to me on the contrary when they saw that i had been entrusted with the gospel of a gospel to the uncircumcised just as peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised for those who worked through peter for the, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the gentiles And then James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that they should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do.
1: Nice. Thanks, Audrey. Nice. Can I pray for us again here? Lord Jesus, uh, I'm just asking this morning that you'd speak, that you'd communicate to us through your word, Lord, that you'd allow us to humbly receive what you have for us. Lord, that you'd allow us to experience uh, some fresh insight uh, from, from your word. Lord, convict us where conviction needs to come. Lord, I pray for your, uh, your loving care, your comfort where we need to be comforted. Lord, I pray for those that walked in who are not sure where they're at in in unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to a place of belief. Lord, for those who are very sure that they've believed but have believed in vain. Lord, I pray that you would convict them of that as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning on this hot day. We thought about canceling. Um, then we couldn't get a hold of you guys and we figured you'd be here and we wouldn't be here and that'd be awkward and um, whatnot. But um, other than the heat, like there is good news. Governor Brown says beginning in three days, like we can not wear masks when we gather in groups like this. So thank the Lord for that. <laughs> praise, praise. Yeah, yeah. It's almost over. We were, we've, been, we've been waiting and waiting for her to make that announcement um, to be able to live life and just enjoy ourselves so um i'm going to move all of this there we go yeah i'm uh i'm I'm really glad to be here like this is uh this is super fun i was back in um i think last week i was in uh in Salem preaching and uh and was, uh, and I think the week before that, I was here when it was pouring down rain. Like we have endured a lot. Like the, Satan is trying to keep us down. He's trying to keep this uh, church plant out of here with uh, some some rain and and uh, excruciating heat. But here we are. We got the faithful here. So thanks for thanks for coming out. Um, as as I said, we're in the book of Galatians, and we're, we're walking through this. And the reason why we want to go through the book of Galatians is because. Uh, whether you're just an American uh, person or you somebody that's been in church for a long time, there's a high uh, probability, very good possibility that you've believed in vain, that you believed in vain. If the Apostle Paul can question himself and say, I just want to make sure that I haven't believed in vain, you should all question whether you've believed in vain. Uh, often, we come to a place where we become self-assured. We become self-assured in what we've been doing. Been a part of the church for a while, maybe. Maybe you're part of a conservative, a really conservative. Area. At least the whole parts of Silverton and Mount Joel and Scotts Mills. I understand, like downtown Silverton, can be uh, it can be some liberal as well. We can be self-assured in our conservatism in some ways. You can be assured in your liberalism uh, as well. But many people in America today are very self-assured. And the book of Galatians is really to help people understand you should not be self assured. And Paul is, is essentially he's traveling to Jerusalem, and he, he goes to Jerusalem. He's talking about a story. He goes to Jerusalem. He wants to present his he wants to present his goal, what Jesus handed to him by revelation, and he wants to take it to these other apostles, uh, Peter, James, and John. And he wants to take them. He wants them to seek Do you Do I right? I, right kind of deal. You know, he's very sure that he there, and he presents his case uh, to them he spoke to them and said, this is what I am. And so this question I want to ask, are you running in vain? Are you running in vain in your life? It may be because maybe you've been in the church for many years. But there's, a, there's deadness that's come in over you. There's, there's, a, there's a sense of deadness in your spirituality and walk with Jesus. There's a, there's a deadness that, that's come over you it hasn't allowed you to thrive your life with Christ. Or maybe there was a time when it was alive. There's a time when your faith was alive it was well, and it was, and it was great, and it was fantastic. You discovered some things you were convicted and convinced, convicted by your sin, and it's the only way out of that. But since that point, there's been a sense of running in vain. There's a deadness that's worked its way into your life. Where you kind of always come back to that time. Remember that time? I remember that place. I remember those those people. I remember that experience. Maybe there's just this, this general sense of just a security about yourself. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with religion. It just has to do with, like, I think I'm doing the right thing. I'm kind of nice to people. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a good person. And yet there's going to come a day, the, the scriptures promise us, when you will give an answer not for the murders that you did you'll give an answer for that as well but for every cross word that you spoke for every cross word if jesus cares about that he cares about every iota of stuff in your life are you running in vain are you running your life in vain maybe you've been building and building and building all kinds of things maybe it's building a career building building a life building a house building a, a place and you're running in vain because it's all for nothing. It's all, it's, all, it's all for nothing. Jesus brings you hope. Jesus brings you hope. And Paul's greatest fear for you and for us is that you would, be, that you would ha- have run in vain. The American church is littered with people that think that they haven't run in vain, and yet it is all for naught. It is littered with people, and we should be careful that we are not those people. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I want to stop right there for just a second. In the book of Acts, if you know the, if you know the Bible, you might know this. If you don't, that's okay. Or, or maybe you're not even sure, and that's okay. No, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. But uh, the book of Galatians is a letter. It's a letter from Paul to his disciples. It's Paul to people that he led to Jesus Christ. It's where he, he planted a church. It's a letter that we now have. The book of Acts is a a history book it talks about that this happened and then that happened and that happened and coincidentally it also is kind of a letter but it's a letter that was written to a person named theophilus that was uh, that was uh and and here is luke who wrote the book of acts he's trying to tell theophilus about this happened and then that happened well in the book of acts we have a story in acts chapter 15 where paul goes to uh, jerusalem to meet with the apostles and we think it's the same story. Paul's talking about it here in Galatians, and Luke is talking about it here in Acts 15. And so I'll refer to that maybe just briefly, but just so you know, that's what that is. He says, I went up because of a revelation. We're not sure exactly what that means. It just means that Paul went there because he had some sense of, of revelation, like God sent him and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. I went up there to, to put this in front of them. I wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page. I heard it from Jesus, you heard it from Jesus. Do our stories match? We heard the same story. That's that's what he's hoping to do. And so he says in verse 3, he says, "But even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek." Now, to people who are out I don't want to say outsiders, but people that don't know a ton about the Bible, when I, I wonder if people realized how much they would hear about circumcision when they first came to church the first time. Like, this is ridiculous. I had a friend who's a fairly new Christian about a couple of weeks, and and he said, we had him over for dinner the other night, and he says... What's the deal with circumcision? Why aren't we talking about circumcision? So if you've been in the church for a little while, you kind of know, like, oh, that's kind of the gig. It's from the Old Testament, that kind of deal. Let me briefly tell you this, that when God called Abraham, Abraham is the guy that God called to begin Israel, to begin this family that was going to be God's people in the Old Testament. And he says, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm going to make with you. I want you to be circumcised. Why did God choose that? Doesn't that seem weird? How would anybody know? I I don't know. I mean, like, that's, it's kind of a weird thing. That's just what God did. And it turned out to be a rite of passage uh, and a mark of like, hey, I am following Yahweh. I am following this God. And so that's what I'm doing. And so for, you know, many, many, many years, like God's people were circumcised. It was a sign that I have given myself to God. Now, go on to the the point of Jesus. That's all Old Testament. We go into the New Testament. And what happens is this, that circumcision is done away with, and now it's simply faith in Jesus Christ. Circumcision isn't the sign, Jesus is the sign. And in reality, baptism becomes the new circumcision, and baptism really just says, hey, I am somebody who has been saved by God. He has saved me, and I am publicly announcing that through baptism." Short thing about circumcision there. So he's saying this. He's saying, Titus, who was with me, he wasn't even forced to be circumcised. So why, basically he's making an argument here and he's saying, so why would these guys come in and start telling you like, hey, you need Jesus plus this. You need Jesus plus circumcision in order to be saved. You must have Jesus and circumcision and that's what actually saves you. And so Paul goes on and he says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ so that they might bring us into slavery, little uh, side note there, he's saying there is some false brothers. There's some people that are bringing in uh, lies. They're bringing in something else to the gospel. They're bringing in something that doesn't belong here. That doesn't belong here. Now, let me just say this. This is our problem in the American church today. This is our problem in American culture. Now, there's many false brothers. We point the finger at these, these Pharisee-type people who have added something to the faith. Meanwhile, we ourselves are continually adding to the faith we're continually adding various things to the faith and saying you know what you yes it's faith in Jesus plus something else what Paul is getting at here is 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 he's saying they are wrong they are false brothers look at what he says here he says to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment now why would that be important? These false brothers come in and they say, "You know what? You've got to have you got to have faith in Jesus plus you've got to have circumcision." The apostle Paul says, "It cannot be not even for a moment, not even for a second. Did Paul even consider like, yes, we should do this?" Paul says, "We stood firm in the face of these people and said, there is nothing that we should add to the gospel. There's nothing that we can add to that and so he says this we didn't yield in submission for a moment so that the truth of the gospel so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you he contrasts that with the previous verse which says so that they might bring us into slavery the false brothers came in And they wanted to add something to the gospel the false brothers came in and added this stuff so that they could enslave us so that they could bring us into slavery I don't think many of us really think of our Christian lives as living in slavery that's what Paul is saying here he's saying that's slavery but we didn't yield for a moment So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And what's the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is freedom. The truth of the gospel says this. It says that you cannot add anything to the message of Jesus Christ. You cannot add church attendance. You cannot add anything from your sexuality. You cannot add not watching Rated R movies. You cannot add tithing. You cannot add being nice. You cannot add being a a Republican. You can't add being a Democrat. You can't add anything. In fact, Paul says that's slavery. And the implication is I've preserved the gospel for you in its fullness so that you would see the freedom of relationship with Jesus. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Paul is really clear to say, I didn't go there just to rub shoulders with really popular people. I went there because they're the guys that Jesus has clearly communicated to. I wanted to hear from them. Those, I say, who who seemed influential added nothing. They added nothing to my message so the key component of the gospel is here it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything it has to be Jesus plus nothing equals everything or it's Jesus plus something equals nothing running in vain Living a fake Christian life, living a life that says, "You know what? I'm okay. I'm I, I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm doing good things. I've helped a lot of people." That's Jesus plus something, and it equals nothing. That's running in vain. That's 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 running in vain. That's that's coming to a place of of destitution. That's coming to a place of actually completely maybe even missing your own lostness. So let's talk about that for a minute. How do Christian people add something to the gospel? Christian people add my church attendance, as I said, tithing, being nice, going to a community group, helping out with a church plant, Christian people add, I don't know, being a faithful husband, Christian people add giving a little bit to outside organizations. People, Christians add all kinds of moral frameworks. The Apostle Paul says if you add any kind of a moral framework, if you go along with these Pharisees who said this in, in, the, book, in the book of Acts, Acts 15, as they said, but some men, Acts 15.1 says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It was full on, it was full on like, you must do this or you, or you don't have relationship with Jesus. Acts 15.5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. These are people who are stuck in the old guard. This is what Christian people have done for years. I remember growing up, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian home uh, with severe uh, abuse and uh, severe Phariseeism. And I was always told, like, hey, uh, alcohol is a sin, period. Alcohol is a sin, period. And as, as I got older, I not only dabbled in alcohol, I overused alcohol. And here's why. Because I found what I believed was this. In my home, in my church, in my school, Christian school, it was Jesus plus not drinking alcohol equals everything. If you, as long as you don't drink alcohol and you love Jesus, then everything is going to be fine. What I found out was that the Bible actually doesn't say that you shouldn't drink. In fact, it says that Jesus was an incredible partier. He brings the best wine. He not, he not only stops by a 7-Eleven and picks up a, a six-pack, he goes to the brewery. He goes to the vineyard. He, may, he brings the best wine. It, and wine being used throughout the Old Testament as a sign of God's blessing. Far from alcohol being something that is wrong and keeps you from God, it's almost as though God has given, this, uh, given to us a good gift from himself. The same thing can be, sec, uh, mm, can be said of intimacy between spouses. Trying to be careful with young ears in here, but that that was a dirty thing, but in fact, it was actually a fantastic thing. As long as you stay away from these things, then you're going to be okay without actually seeing the love and the care that God saved us to enjoy these good things, that God saved us to experience those amazing things. The church does this often with people that don't look like us. We can kind of write people off uh, pretty quickly. It's, it's happened politically recently, as people have been so uh, politically polarized, and it's happened in the church as well, where we've gathered around a, uh, you know, a party leader, and anybody who isn't on board that party leader, well, you must be a liberal, and you must be somebody who is on the outside. It's Jesus plus the right political leader equals everything, and that's false. That's, that's running in vain. You see it on the liberal end of things in, in the local church. It's Jesus plus tolerance. It's Jesus plus acceptance. It's Jesus plus uh, whatever it is, whatever that cause is. It's Jesus plus that. That's what will actually get you saved. See, it's not just for those people out there, and it's not just for us. It's, it is that there are false brothers everywhere, and if we're really honest we'd have to understand that we are so many times false brothers. We're people who've come in and we have contorted the gospel and we've said this is what it actually means to be saved and this is what it feels like. Even if we know that that's not true, functionally, we live that way. Functionally, I live every day as though my relationship with God is built on my works towards him, even though I know that that's not true. Why does that continue to happen? Why does, why does it continue to happen? Why do we always add something to the gospel? If I can tell you all the reasons why I should be accepted, then I can avoid actually dealing with all the reasons why I should be rejected. If I can tell you all the reasons why I should be accepted, like I've made up a bogus list of rules that you shouldn't drink and you shouldn't smoke and you shouldn't do do this or you should vote for these people and you should not do that. If, if, if I can make a list of things that say, OK, the, all right, if I if I get circumcised, then I know it's like it's in my skin like I know it's like getting branded like I know there's no there's no way I'm I'm getting out of this thing. It's like I'm, I'm in the club and there's no way I'm getting out. So if, if I can create a work, if I can create a thing that says like I helped people or I give to the church or I tithe and I, and I, uh, and, and I, and I give to other organizations and, and I, and I come to church or I help with this or I, or I do that. If I can do that, then I can avoid ever coming to the understanding of all of the reasons why I should have been rejected in the first place. And all I have to do is put up all of my good works. I just have to put up my good works. Let me tell you what you should think about right now. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with your spouse, if you're married here this morning. I never begin an argument with my wife talking about all the things that I've done wrong. I always begin an argument with my wife with all of the things that I have done right. I did this. I went and got the kids, and I fed them dinner, and I, whatever, I wasn't a jerk, and uh, all this. I never begin an argument with my wife with saying, here's all of the things that I did wrong. I always begin that argument with saying, here's all the things I did right. And guess what? Your conversations, your arguments with God always begin with what you did right. You know what keeps me and my wife (laughs) in a discussion for the kids here? You know what keeps us in a discussion? Just straight up self-righteousness. Just straight up self-righteousness. If I can tell you all the reasons why I should be accepted, if I can tell you all all the things that I've done good, then I can avoid actually dealing with all of the reasons why I should be rejected. If I can talk about all the, this good thing, if I can just make a standard of righteousness that I can meet, if I can make that standard of righteousness, then I can meet that. It's, it's discernible. It's like, it's, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. It's all of those things. If you read the Old Testament and you read the Old Testament law, like the the Pharisees were saying, you should be circumcised and they should obey the law of Moses. I don't know if you've ever read the law of Moses, if if you've ever gone through that and you start reading through all of those laws and and you start understanding what's happening there, it's like you couldn't uh, wake up and sit up out of bed before you had sinned. You couldn't just walk in and see God before you had been ceremonially unclean. Why does God do that? God is trying to show us something in the Old Testament. He's trying to show us there is nothing that you can do to make yourself righteous. And the Pharisees, the false teachers, the false prophets, the false church people today are the people who say, I've created a standard of righteousness and I can meet it. the gospel says something else the gospel says you don't even understand to begin with original sin you don't understand that because of adam and eve's sin all of us have become sinful you came forth out of the womb sinful before you even had an opportunity to sin you say i disagree with that i don't like it i didn't make the rules I didn't make it so. It's just what the scriptures say. I didn't have to sin before I came out of the womb. I was, I I came forth sinful. David says in Psalms, surely I was conceived in sin. Original sin. What what must happen is this. What, What has to happen is this, is that I can't somehow assuage my own conscience by adding rules. This is what happened in Israel's history. In Israel, there were prophets who were speaking falsely. It says in Jeremiah six, it says six thirteen and 14. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, it's everybody, God's, God's anointed leaders, everybody, Everyone deals falsely. Everyone is a false brother, yet because of false brothers. In that time in Israel, everyone was a false brother. They suffer from the very same thing that we suffer from. Everyone's a false brother. And this is what what Jeremiah the prophet says. He says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace. When there is no peace. What does that mean? It means that there were prophets and there were priests in, the, in their day that were saying, you know what? Just check these boxes. Just do these things and you'll be just fine. And God says to them, You've made it too easy. You've made it too easy. You've healed the wound of my people lightly. Sin is a wound. It cannot be taken care of by adding something to the message of Jesus. You cannot heal original sin. You've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, saying, we have peace with God. We have peace with God because of all these things. No, God says, no, that is healing that lightly. That is not salvation. That is not the gospel. That's not what it is. You've believed in vain. So not only is it original sin that we forget about and we think somehow I can accomplish the will of God, I can overcome the reality of original sin that is with me, but it's not just original sin, but it's our actual sin. It's the sins of our life day in and day out. I sinned in some way, shape, or form in putting this sermon together. I sinned as I walked up here, as I walked up here in nervousness and not in faith that God that God was in control and powerful and can speak even without me even opening my mouth. I, I, I sin every moment of the day. How, how do I think that I can come to God and say, you know what? I've accomplished this list of things, and therefore I should be accepted. No, that's healing the wound, the absolute abscess of a wound that is going on in our lives that is sin. Not only is it original sin, I don't even have to sin in order to be sinful. I'm already sinful, but I also have my actual sins. I have everything that's weighing me down. And then on top of that, I also have my self-righteousness. George Whitfield has this great sermon that talks about you haven't really over, you haven't really come to a point of acceptance of your own sin until you've repented of your own self-righteousness. Another author, I can't remember his name says, it's not so much your sin that's keeping you from God, it's your damnable good works. The problem with us today is that we're being kept from God, not just because of our sin, but because we think that we are righteous before Him on our own. We put up our righteousness before God. Hey, I did this. Hey, I did that. I did the other thing. And George Whitfield's point is this: Have you ever mourned your sin? Have you ever mourned? Not have you ever come to a point of mourning the loss, mourning the uh, the 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 injury that you have done to God. Have you ever come to a point where you've understood, like, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm lost. I'm destitute. I cannot get there. Many people have walked an aisle at a church and, and received Jesus Christ or they were raised in the church or somehow they, they have some type of uh, Christian background or something, but they've never come to a place of mourning their sin, of coming to the point where they say, uh, I can't believe I've done this to you, God. I can't believe I've acted in this way. I can't believe that you would accept me. I can't believe that this is who you are. Do you know where alive Christianity comes from? It comes from the, the Holy Spirit convicting me and bringing me, bringing me to a point of understanding of I've been trying to heal my own wound lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And I've believed in vain in that sense. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to save me because of my lostness. Because I have nothing to offer to you. I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to extend to you. I don't have a list of rights that I've done. I don't have anything. I don't have a leg to stand on. I don't have anything. And that is the only way that you can come to a place of not living in vain. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul's only message was this. Christ Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I am the worst. The Pharisee, and the tax collector. The Pharisee said, I thank you that I'm not like those other people like this tax collector. The tax collector said, God have mercy to me, a sinner. That is the only way. You must plead for mercy from God. But many of us in this room, in this barn, don't just need to repent for all of our sin. We need to repent for our good works. What makes you a Christian? Is it all the things that you've done, all the ways that you have, all the ways that you have been nice to people and done good things? Paul says, think again. They added nothing to me. It's Jesus plus nothing, which equals everything. If it's Jesus plus something, it's lost. It's completely lost. As we go to the Lord's table here in just a moment, I want to read that statement for you again that I said earlier. If I can tell you all the reasons why I should be accepted, then I can actually avoid dealing with all the reasons why I should be rejected. We come to the Lord's table this morning in order to bring up all of the reasons why I should be rejected, knowing that Jesus went to the cross and gave himself up fully for me and for you so that I can be accepted. So the first thing, many of us need to repent this morning over our righteousness. So let let me invite you to uh, grab communion here. Just stand up. This is how we do it here at Outward Church. Just grab communion. We'll partake of this together here in just a moment. So just while you're uh, while you're uh, going to the communion table here, if, you're, if you've got it already, would you bow your heads with me? How dare us say peace, peace when there is no peace? How dare us put up our righteousness and make a mockery? what had to happen for our sin. Jesus was so pleased. He was so delighted, and yet he endured such pain for your sin and for my sin. He says, I gave, I gave my very self to you. I gave everything for you. And I wonder if Jesus would say this morning, like, my child, my son, my daughter. What, what, do you, what do you bring to the table this morning as your own righteousness? My prayer for you is that you would just lay before him. I have nothing to bring you, Lord Jesus, but all of my faults, all of my sinful behaviors. Just, I just wanna invite you you're here this morning in the barn just to be thinking, like what are all the ways that I, that I need the grace of Jesus this morning? If he were to come back right now and judge me, what would he judge me on? And Jesus says, my, my son, my daughter, this is my body which is broken for you. I gave it because there's nothing about your righteousness that can help you. It's only my body broken for you, my blood that's spilled for you. So I want you to partake of this as an acknowledgement that you need me, not just a little bit, but to the very core, to the very core of who you are. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, partake of the body. And then he says, I, I have such an incredible love and affection for you. I have such an immense love for you. The only thing I long for is closeness with you. And the closeness that I long for with you is, just comes through an acknowledgement of your inability to even do anything right. He says, I poured out my blood for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for the realization that you've given us of your incredible grace and mercy. We thank you for that. Lord, may we not try to heal our own wound by adding something to the gospel like these false brothers. But Lord, may we we receive it in all of its simplicity. It's just you. It's just you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.